Welcome to The Row Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa, it brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, crucial roles, high fits, compassion, great passion, fiction, ultimate goal, glory, relentless training, pain, pain. So, as you know, uh, South Africa is hosting World Masters Regatta. Uh, it's coming up on the 18th to the 24th of September. And it's the first world rowing event hosted by South Africa. So, we are super excited about it. And on the row show, as we get closer to uh, World Masters, we're going to add more and more uh, content for everyone and, you know, kind of just build the hype up a little bit. And already we're getting quite a few questions on some of the details are around the regatta. So we thought we'd just have a little piece in every introduction and explain some of the, the big questions that we're getting. And obviously to help me out, I have uh, James Thompson, who is lead organizer, right? Not quite lead organizer. I'm running the venue services. Um, so I'm heavily involved. Um, I, I luckily don't have one of the big, the big job roles. I'm a minion. I'm doing the hard work on the ground. Nice. So I think the first uh, big question is how are how how do boats work and how is everyone going to uh, get boats going forward uh, when they get to the regatta? Do you have enough boats coming to South Africa to supply the the masses? Yeah, straight into the good stuff here. Um, the boats are are definitely a hot topic and a lot of people are concerned and I think um, a lot of the, the the boat builders are waiting for people to come and a lot of the um, the people are waiting for the boat builders to come. But what we've done is we have now secured 250 rental boats um, between the various suppliers. Um, they will be announced exactly who has been bringing what in March. But for the moment, we got a, a lot of that's coming out of the local rental pool. So we've grouped all the boats in South Africa, the vast majority of them, um, of decent standard, and you'll be able to rent a local boat. So it won't just be like a normal World Masters where you're renting new Philippines and uh, new new Falcons and new Swifts and things like that. Instead, you're going to be renting the South African club boats and the schools boats who wouldn't necessarily have been used. Our school boat, our school system is pretty big though. So I mean, our boats and the, they're really good boats. I mean, most of them Felipe's and Pachas, uh, Swifts and yeah. Um, when we look at the size of the regatta, it's actually not hugely different in volume of people uh, to our junior South African champs. So South Africa has got a big rowing community. A lot of it's school rowing. Um, yeah, our one squeeze point is probably coxless quads. Um, it's not a boat class race, particularly in South Africa. So we're working particularly hard with the international boat builders to make sure that the supply of those is up there. Um, but we are so, yeah, worst case scenarios, those boats would get onto a, 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 like a, a cap almost, that there would only be like 20 quads per event or something like that. Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me is... Yeah, guys, it's Jake Green, as always, and uh, today we have a very special guest on the show. You know, Lawrence and I have always been chatting about uh, how much we love lightweights and been trying to get more more lightweights on the show, and we delivered again, this time with Simon Niepmann from Switzerland, who made his way in the lightweight four um, on his Olympic journey, and he finished off with a spectacular gold medal at the Rio Olympic Games the last event that the lightweight four raced in and an absolutely 
amazing athlete and really insightful discussion into um into the lightweight force hey lawrence yeah and if you think back like uh when we interviewed uh drew ginn we spoke a lot about how uh how good lightweight rowing is and and how he finds rowing uh, lightweight rowing much better to watch than you know when you're looking at technique and how to move the boat and how to be fluid uh, with the boat so and i thought that the the swiss uh lighty forward really took it on and i remember through the 2016 uh, season watching them a lot you know doing a lot of uh video analysis of of their crew because obviously it was taking we were rowing in the pair that year and and it was just watching them and learning from them was was huge for us so uh, it was really cool to have simon on the show get to share a little bit of that story and also the journey you know as I mean, we all, we've always said that it takes a long time for most athletes to find their groove, find their speed, and uh, and he was no exception. And I don't know his his how they went from being good athletes to the best athletes was was really interesting. Yeah, for sure. And like to give a little bit of context, um, it was quite a it was quite a journey. Like I don't know when I looked at his results, it was almost like a classic way to do it. You know, he started off racing in the under twenty three category you know, racing uh, at that lower level, just kind of like building up the ranks, getting a, a medal at N23s and then starting on the senior level, uh, kind of like building his way through the finals. And they got into the four for the first time, as we know it in 2010, the same combination. And uh, they had a pretty good start and they managed to qualify for the Olympics 2011, race the Olympics in uh, 2012, spent some time apart in the next two years in, uh, Simon was in the lightweight pair. The other two guys were in the lightweight double. And then they came again together for 2015-2016, ending with the gold medal. But it was really, like, over the course of his career, it's a really good progression. And uh, you guys will enjoy it in the chat. You, we, we pick it up around the 2010 mark and then slowly build on there. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, definitely another another good uh, good good one for the archives. Um and maybe just uh, maybe just a quick little bit of housekeeping. Just a huge shout out to our patrons. You guys are awesome. We really appreciate the support. Uh, we looking for big things in 2023, and uh, you, none none of this would be possible without our, our patron listeners. And to all our other listeners out there, you guys are also amazing. Get, getting the show growing and uh, just keeping the support coming. And if you're interested in looking at Patreon, please go across patreon.com. And support your number one favorite rowing podcast out there. So sweet guys, uh, love the support for sure. Otherwise, uh, share, tell your tell your friends about it, and yeah, enjoy the enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Row Show. And today we are joined by a gold medalist in the lightweight four from Rio Games, Simon Niepmann from Switzerland. Simon, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you on. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, so to get straight into it, Simon, we the lightweight four is going to be the the big topic of the of the interview. And looking through your results, you guys spent a lot of time in that combination. Just to start the interview off, I think it's going to be great to to chat to you a little bit about the the context and the origins of the four of you guys that got into lightweight four back in 2010 and how, how did the buildup look and uh, how did the, the initiation of getting that four selected, how did that kind of develop in 2010 um, in Switzerland? 
uh, in a way it was a uh, was by chance so we had trials in in 2010 and we we never rode together as a four and then we were quite surprised so we had trials in pairs and then we jumped into the four and then we had some seat racing going on and then suddenly we found out okay that's this four is is really going well and then we got the chance to to race first on a national regatta against the under 23 quad and okay we found out we were going quite well and yeah it was not like we had a lot of experience uh, um, rowing with each other before maybe mario and i had because we we're same same age but then uh, the younger guys joined in and the boat was really really going good mm. yeah and, and like it's actually amazing to see a lot of the time we have these discussions with uh, the the members, uh, just elite athletes that have been part of these fantastic combinations is that there seems to be a click. I mean, we spoke to Istok Chop and he's has that incredible combination with Lucas Spick and it was immediately apparent that the two of them were fast. So it must have been amazing when you get got into the four and like in your first season together, there was a huge uptick in results. You guys managed to get a medal at Europeans and managing to race in a lot of A finals must have been a huge, you know, such a great feeling because especially in the lightweight four, we all know, Lawrence and I especially, from watching it and being such big fans of the event, how difficult it is to make those A finals and how close the margin of racing is. So chat to us a bit about like how, how great the success was and maybe also a little bit on maybe it must have been a huge turn in the competitiveness going into an Olympic boat class the lightweight four, arguably the most competitive boat class of any event in rowing. Yeah, in a way, we were quite surprised to go that well because we had the lightweight fours the years before. We tried to qualify for, for Beijing and, and did not make it. And then we had a, a four in 2009 and I did not make the boat. So that was a big disappointment. And then in 2010, this new combination um, came up and then we had the goal to maybe reach a, a final at the World Cup as we had before. And then we, we managed to get into the final and already yeah, com were contenders for, for medals. And we always uh, looked up to the Germans the years before when they won the, the World Championships in the lightweight for in 2009. And then suddenly first World Cup 2010, we did beat them. And we were like, that's crazy. That's not, not yeah. real. And I think the, the, the best race we had in this year was the, the final at Lucerne, where we had the, the home crowd cheering on. We were on lane one and suddenly we managed to, to, to stay close to, to the first place over the whole, whole 2K. And only in the last few meters, the, the Danes, Italians and British were a bit faster than we were. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a huge theme actually in the lightweight four rowing, and you know over the you know over this chat, I'm sure we're gonna learn a little bit more about that that how important that last that second K is because the margins are so close. I mean, I know the lightweight four is not around anymore, but I think for the listeners out there, they must definitely go and watch some racing because it is it's ridiculously ridiculously close margin. And then of course you guys got to world champs, and I'm sure. It, on the one hand, you had been making A finals, but on the second hand, uh, on the other hand, it was changed your expectations. So suddenly now you want to be in those A finals. And 
it must have been a little bit disappointing to miss out on the A final at World Champs. You guys managed to come second in the B final. Um, but maybe that was the first the first realization of like the end of almost the honeymoon period that like this is actually really hard and this is going to be we might have gathered a lot of speed but that's that last like percent of speed that's going to take us to the top that's going to be so difficult to get right and you guys came eighth and how did how did the perspective change after that world champs especially considering that the next year you were going into the qualification year yeah of course we were disappointed with the the B final qualification, but um, we struggled a bit with injury on, on the, the build-up and then it was, was different. So it was the first time for us traveling that far for, a, for a world championship or uh, an event in general. So it was quite special and I, I had the impression that we were maybe already over the peak when we arrived or when, we, hmm. when world championships started. And so we were not, not on, on top of our game. And that's what happens if you're not on top on your, of your game, then yeah, you will not, not make the final. We were quite disappointed, but then um, I think we were realistic to, to go back to work and, and focused on, on yeah, building strength and then going into, into the next season with big expectations. We, want, we wanted to qualify. That was the main goal. Um, I think... The World Cups were only only there for for getting race practice, but the result was not not in in focus. It was only the only thing that what that counted was uh, World Championships in Bled. So, you know, in like heavyweight rowing, there's a lot of uh, the the range is is always a little bit bigger. You know, there's you know there's two or three percent between the the A final and there's there's more as you go into the semifinals. So. The spread in the in the field is is larger, and like the mental game you need to have in the as a heavyweight is like you need to hunt people ahead of you. You know that if you race them ten times, they're going to beat you out of nine out of those ten times, and then you've got to close that gap and beat them and and get onto the next one. But I feel like lightweight rowing is almost on the other side of the coin, whereas if you race ten times, you're going to get ten different results, and it's it's just chop and changing. So, talk us through like what is the mental game that you guys really try to get right in these early years where you know they if you got it right you made that a final and if you got it wrong you were you know quickly down the down the the kind of uh down the field so yeah what is the like mental game that you were trying to get right when it came to racing and how are you practicing that in the in the build-up i think in 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 that time we really focused on the the first half of the race so we really wanted to stay in contact with the the big nations in the lightweight four and uh, we were able to start really fast and then it was just holding on holding on holding on and we were yeah in these these years 2010 11 and 12 we were not yet there to really hold it the whole 2k but we were were able to hold it maybe to the thousand fifteen hundred but then yeah there was no no gear left so really try to to focus to go out hard as fast as we can but then really maintain a good rhythm and and stay yeah efficient but i think at that time we were not yet um on a physical level where we really could could step up again on the last 500 or even step up at the third 500 we could maybe maintain or hold the pace but not not stepping and then, and like your your lifestyles at that point, um, you know, for the 2012 cycle, were you guys all, were you full-time rowers or were you all still studying and, or, or doing other other things as well? 
and we were all studying. And then we had the break uh, in 2012 to really focus on, on the rowing. That's, that's for sure. But until I would say end of 2011, we were all um, studying, I would say 40 to 60% to really, yeah, get, get things going. And then um, we really focused on, on the rowing part hundred percent from January, 2012. I would love to chat a little bit more about like the lightweight, the training as a lightweight and maybe a little bit on, about nutrition because Obviously, Lawrence and I haven't really had to worry so much about like the the nutritional aspect. Obviously, we take nutrition as an athlete very seriously to be in peak performance, but we've never had to worry about making weights. We've never had to worry about how do you train like at your fullest capacity, but at the same time, you know, also have to make sure you hit the weight. And 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 to a certain extent, like it is a little bit like if you just think about it technically, losing weight is not a good uh, is not a good thing for performance. So is almost like take this question, like as if I'm a younger lightweight rower, like what advice would you give to lightweight rowers about balancing that nutritional element and how do you train and make sure that you stay on top of your weight at the same time? Yeah, I think nutrition is key, but, um, yeah, on the, the one hand you have to do the training and, uh, yeah, as as you you know, um, you, the lightweights had to do the same program as the heavyweights, so you need to deal with it, and then you need to make sure that you start making weight early enough, so you don't get get stressed too much, and then you need to be aware that if you're in a crew boat, so everyone struggles at a different point in the training, so you might might have a few weeks where the where the boat is not going really good because one day the one guy is struggling, the other day or the next two days, three days, another guy is, is struggling. So it's it's um, more or less a, a mental game. You need to be ready for a period of time where you train hard and you will feel tired and the boat is not going well and you have to deal with it. And I think that's the, that's the big challenge because you see the heavyweights doing the same training and they are complaining it's it's too hard and <laughs> they can eat what they want yeah and we are next to them and say okay it's it's definitely too hard and we can't eat properly so yeah it's a in a, in a way it's funny because then you get get angry and then you push each other a bit more and yeah i think you you guys discovered as well with your lightweights yeah so i mean it's 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 actually quite nice for us because we wrote because uh, we come from a small team you know we when the lightweights were training we were training right there next to them it wasn't you know separated at all so we really did experience the the full um spectrum of lightweight um behavior because there can be some tough days when they when they're trying to make weight and they're trying to uh, get down and and you know they get a little like the lightweights definitely get a little more highly strung than the, than some of the heavyweights when you when you know when the dessert gets uh, gets served so and there's a lot of like there's a lot of crazy crazy stories out there when it comes to lightweights you know doing the most outrageous diets or the biggest sweats and especially in in lightweights early parts of their careers i think as lightweights mature and they get closer to you know that top peak performance they realize that they you know sitting closer to weight is kind of much easier and more healthy to to kind of maintain and then you know, but some of the younger athletes that think they're still lightweights, meanwhile, they've been growing for the, the last few years and they're still trying to do these huge sweats. So 
for you, what is like the, was there any crazy stories with your, you and your crew between like, what is the biggest sweat you ever had to do? Or was there any day where you thought you're not going to make, uh, make the way in or you, you sick of, of being a lightweight? Uh, no, we were always quite confident to, to, to get on weight at uh, on time as well so i think that was always a, a challenge but i think we managed it quite well and we we had a lot of experience because as as we we were talking before um we started before in 2010 and from that on we we started to know each other quite well mm. and then we we figured out how to lose weight and then how to do the sweat down properly that we don't spend too long on weight and i think we we yeah for us we we brought it to perfection because for us at the end it worked really really good and it felt like um already on the scale or maybe half an hour after after the weighing we were like okay now we are really really ready so making the weight was was hard but we were not like smashed or destroyed by doing the weight so we managed it quite well and we managed it um always the same so our goal was coming to world championships or the olympics and having a setup which is exactly the same like we have in lucerne when we are rowing at world cup lucerne i think that was the the big thing we had a yeah quite a big trust in the process and then we were were like doing what we are used to and then it worked out for us Mm. I was I was waiting for the the trust word to come out because mm. you know if you row with the same combination of of athletes for you know the number of years that that you guys were together and you know in that force since 2010 the trust must have been just every year just building up a little bit more and you know racing is already stressful training is stressful added the the lightweight element to to that whole situation it can it's such a stressful environment. And I think if you can trust your teammates to they worrying about themselves, they making sure that they are in the best position to perform and you can focus on yourself. I think that brings in such a different dynamic and such a, a, a healthy place to be as a, as a crew member, you're not having to try and like worry about anyone else to, to do their piece. You can, you can really give your piece hundred percent. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yes. So we were, always quite open so we we did check the weight together uh, in the evening before the racing we checked it in the morning we were speaking about it and then we we made sure that if someone's already on yeah not on the weight but we, we always planned more or less to sweat 800 to 1.2 1.3 kilos so in for me it was like if i go to bed um two kilos over then i'm good next morning i'm more or less one kilo over and then i had to sweat one kilo so that worked quite well so i did already know or we did already know in the morning okay we are still on plan or maybe i'm 100 over i'm 100 under and then we could already yeah talk to each other and manage that that uh, everyone has to do just as much as as needed and not too much you know we've had a good segue there i think it's it's let's get back into the um into the, the rowing chat and you, we chatted about 2010, and uh, the next year, the big one, um, was the, the qualification year, 2011. And it seems like you guys managed to maintain that good form, and the biggest thing in 2011 is that you guys went to World Champs, you raced the semifinal, and you made it into the A-final. 
Um, and I often find like those qualification years, the semifinals in a way almost become bigger than the, the, the finals because of the fact that the, the qualification spots are secured if you make it through to the A final. So the feeling of, you know, all that, that work, and you, you said earlier that the, that the the Beijing campaign was unsuccessful and then finally getting into a boat and qualifying for the Olympics. What was your, what, what went through your head when you managed to get through that semifinal and that you knew that there was going to be a Switzerland lightweight for racing at the London Games the next year? Yeah, I think at the first moment we, we couldn't believe that it's that we made it. And then we were over the moon and like like small school kids, we were celebrating. And I think we forgot that we have to race or that we are able to race the A final the next day. And that's that's mm. that's the reason why the A final did not not go to plan at all. So we really focused on that semifinal and we did um like I would say all the, the semifinals in 2010 and 2011, that was our key race. We, we really tried to make the A final. So we focused on the semifinal and then, yeah, the, the A final was like a, a benefit on top of it. And for that reason, I think the best races we had were, were always in the semifinal because we really focused on that. And then we were maybe not yet able to step up in the final. That year, R Lighty Four raced in the B final at the at the Blade Regatta. I don't know if you actually saw what happened in the B final that year with the qualification. It I was, saw it. It was the most ridiculous race. I mean, I obviously at the time I wasn't, I didn't watch it, but as soon as I, you know, if, if I finished my schooling and I joined the team and I started obviously learning about rowing, I remember James Thompson telling me in a car trip once about that race and how every single person at one stage was coming last and how every single person at one stage was winning. And it's the only race he's ever raced where the objective wasn't to win, it was just not to come last. And then after listening to him, I actually went and, and found it online and watched it. And I I almost had a I had a stroke just watching the event. So yeah, I mean it was it was a ridiculous race and it's just a a testament to how brutal and how close the, the lightweight four was. Um, I'm sure you must have been relieved that you didn't have to race that B final trying to uh, make a spot. Yeah, we were we were really happy to to be in the semis already because um, we had to race the rep and we had the, I think the Dutch and the Polish, uh, which both were quite good crews at that time, and we were like, oh, we were really really under big pressure. Because if, you, if you're not making top two, then you're out, you're in C final. And then you have no chance uh, for a qualifying spot. And then we were like really happy to making, making the semifinal. And then we had a lot of, of pressure. And I think the whole pressure dropped when we came second. And then I think we were not able to, to get back into a situation or, or, or in, a, in a race preparation with a bit of pressure um, to race the final. But yeah, to to um, speak of the the B final, yes, we saw it, and you don't want to be in in such a race. It was just crazy to watch, and yeah, lightweight right. force racing at its best. Yeah, the you know the oh, rowing is just incredible, you know, and I think that qualification regatta, you know, you say how you you've made it through you. So when you qualified for the A final, obviously you get that Olympic qualification spot, and you you celebrated like school kids. 
But I think that's kind of the point, though, is that that that's what makes that year, you know, qualification year so amazing. Is that the semifinals are incredible to watch, and the B finals are are also like they on another level compared to the other years. You know, it's it's probably the one year where they could row the B finals after the A finals, and uh, and no one would really complain because those races are so heated and and there's so much at stake. You know, and so I, it's it's just an qualification for the olympics is in a whole sport on its own for me yeah in my eyes that's that's a shame that the that the fields are getting smaller at the olympics and so the semi-finals are not not um that important anymore or, or i would say the b finals so you have not the same kind of racing if you if you have uh, less no. less boats at the olympics yeah Yo, no it is it's a travesty but anyway to to continue on, so you get into 2012, and obviously that that final race in 2011 was a disappointment, coming sixth. But the biggest thing about that is the fact that you know you can't win any medal if you don't make the A final in the first place. I think you you probably had a good understanding of that from the year before of having such a good set of results, and then you made the B final. But this time round, you got into the A final. You might not have had the race you guys wanted, but you know, you still, at the end of the day, is when you line up at the blocks in that A final, you know that three people are, are going to walk away with some medals. So I'm sure that informed your guys' training going into the Olympic year by going, listen, it was a bit of a disappointing result, but, you know, lightweight racing is incredibly close. We have automatically, just making that A final, we are so close to, immediately close to, to, to hunting for those medals. The margins are so small. And like that motivation to train in the Olympic year and get the medal must have been something else. And, you know, chat to us about like how the mind shift, mind shift changed going into 2012, the Olympic year, everyone's full time. It's finally everything you've been training for is going to be soon is going to become into fruition is actually going to the Olympic Games. So the, the training and the mindset must have changed and it must have been a, an incredible year from that point of view, training up to that London Games. Uh, yes, of course. Yeah, we were not thinking too much uh, about uh, the disappointment of the sixth place the year before, because we were so happy to to have that qualifying spot. And then I think that the pressure started to build up to get to get a seat in the in the lightweight four. And I think for 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 the mind, uh, it was really good to to have that spot. And suddenly we we experienced that more people are are. Um, interested in in rowing because Switzerland has uh, did qualify a, a quad and a lightweight four and that was was quite quite uh, yeah a thing and for us it was like yeah a big big relief to 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 manage uh, Olympic qualification and that was a big motivation boost through the winter to really get get into the work and and get better. The, just the racing towards the into the Olympics, you guys, you, you raced at the second World Cup, the third World Cup. You made those A finals again. I'm sure the the hunt for the the medals must have been ever present on your mind. But what was the the feeling amongst the four going into the Olympics? You know, how did the how did the boat feel going into the Olympics um, in that year in 2012, leading up into yeah, leading up into the games. Yeah, in a way, it was a strange season because um, Lucas was injured more or less the whole season, so we did not uh, race with him. So there was no race in the in the original combination. So 
there was a, a special permission for Lucas to join us at the Olympics without racing before, because we had like to to show speed to really get the boat selected for the Olympics, and the whole process and the whole World Cup season was with our spare, and we were going well. Yeah, we we made the finals, but we felt like we were not um, contending for the medal. So we were always going hard in the semis, making the A finals, but then we felt like not having having a a chance to really get into the top three spots. And then it was a big, big change when we had the the pre-camp for the Olympics and Lucas joined in and then suddenly the boat got another step. So we had another gear coming back to the original combination. It was it was really good with the spare already, but then it it came even even better back with uh, Lucas in the boat, and then we were really positive. Uh, we were good on prognostics against the quad. I think we already or we had uh, um, um, two times thousand or whatever we did on same speed as as they did, and they ended up really disappointed. And we were like, "Ooh, we are we are ready for Olympics. That's it's really good." And then we were really excited to go go to to London and, and see what is possible. So, um, what injury did uh, Lucas have there? Uh, he had a wrist injury and he had to have surgery, so he was out for quite a long time. Okay, is that um, is that the um, what is that one that you have had? Carpal tunnel. I uh, I think so. Some yeah, they had to cut. Like, Cut his t- like his <laughs> the sheath like, of his muscles there. Yeah, maybe I'm not I'm not hundred percent sure. Okay. I can't really really explain it in English. I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. No worries. And then just on injuries in general, did you did you suffer any um, any major injuries in your rowing career? Um, luckily, not. No, I was quite lucky. I had uh, only small little issues, and sometimes it was just because I didn't stop early enough and then I had to rest maybe a week, but that was just stupid. Okay. But it's always always the case if you look back, then you think, okay, you were just stupid continuing. But yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah. And then athletes need a little bit of stupidity as well, though. I find like the you gotta be you gotta be the one trying to push on and the coach has to be the one with the, the leash pulling you back. But so just on that, I want to just dig in a little bit. Like, so how was it rowing with a, you know, you had a spare in the boat for most of the season. How was that? Like, that must have been a, quite a challenge from a dynamics point of view when, you know, you have someone in the boat that's filling a seat for somebody else and you're waiting for them to come back. You know, it, it must have, you know, just raised that little bit of tension just a little bit more, especially in a year that's got the Olympics in it that's already, you know, a, a highly strung year. Yeah, I, I think it was maybe the the, the most problems or, or the, the most difficult situation was for Lucas because he was out and he was not sure uh, coming back in time. And I think we were quite lucky having a, a good spare. It was the, the younger brother of Johnny Kmelin and uh, the older, no, the younger brother, sorry, yes. And he did a really good job and he's a, he's a really nice guy and we had a good time. So that helped a lot. So we had a, a four a crew of four guys really working together, having a good time, racing fast, still making a final. So we were quite happy and we were hoping for, for Lucas to come back because we were sure that, or we did know that he's 
stronger than than our spare, but we did not know if he can make it in time and what influence it will have on the boat because we will not have any, uh, so much time to get back into into training and then suddenly the, the Olympics are starting. These Olympic Games, these World Championships that we speak about, it's never always straightforward. There always seems to be something you know, that, that happens. But I think we'll get into this more later on in the conversation, but I think it's a true testament to the elite performers is being able to deal with things like injury and still be, you know, go to the Olympic games and have good racing. Cause at the end of the day, I think sometimes as athletes, we always try and tell ourselves that on race day, you're going to be perfect. You're going to feel fantastic and everything's going to go well, but it never, ever, ever goes perfect. There's always something that is uh, niggling your mind. Maybe you didn't have a good sleep, nutrition, injury niggles. And it's like, Nothing. It'll at the end of the day, the reality is it's not going to be perfect, and you still have to perform. So on that note, going into the Olympics in 2012, and from from watching the racing, and then looking at like the heats through the semi to the final, it does look like you guys had the best racing in that fall for up until that point. Obviously, the A final must have been a disappointment coming away with the fifth place, but the racing through the heat, winning the heat, coming second in the semi final, and then ultimately the final just being a little bit, the last 500 seemed to be a little bit too fast at last 750. But chat to us about like the build up, racing through the heat, getting through the semi, because you guys really did have fantastic racing going, um, going through the progressions. And I think it's, you said earlier that you guys, the, the struggle was making it through, you know, that progression. And you seem to have almost getting it perfectly where you can get through the progression and still perform at the end. So chat to us a bit about how the experience at the 2012, London's went, uh, 2012 London Olympics went and the ultimate race in the final. You can give us a bit of insight into how that developed. Yeah, first of all, we were really, really excited to, to get to race at the Olympics. And then in a way, we were surprised uh, about how good the heat was going because, uh, as I said, it was the first race in the original combination in that year. And... Yeah, we we were going out hard, and then we felt okay that rhythm is is really good, and and we can hold the speed quite good, and we can maintain the speed through the middle thousand, and then yeah, we we did not have to sprint at the end, winning the the heat, and it was like wow, that was that was really good, and it felt mm. really good, and then of course expectations start to rise, and. Then we try to really prepare well for for the semi final, which was a, a really really tough race against the British. Yeah, it, it seemed like the, the racing at that Olympics was insane, and not just not just from the pure like the performance point of view, but actually the London that the Eton Dorney and the crowds at that Olympics are unlike anything else that has happened in rowing. Maybe besides like something like Henley. For you going to Eton Dorney and having that atmosphere, what was that like? I mean, the crowds there were ridiculous. I've never seen a regatta that had, you know, that kind of just all the way down. There just people on the banks, and you cannot listen when you are listening to the race. You you can almost not hear any commentating because the the crowd, the grandstands, everyone's cheering. So that must have been amazing. The atmosphere must have been ridiculously cool, and it must have been added another element to the racing. Yes, of course. I, I think we were so lucky to 
to race in, in London with that uh, big, big crowd and that huge excitement. And we were lucky as well that we uh, were able to race the British in the semi and then again in the final, because if we uh, if they made the, the call over at the start, you could already hear the crowd going crazy when they said Great Britain and everyone was at the start already. And then you had goosebumps and it was really crazy. And then you had more or less um, spectators along the whole 2K stretch. And that was that was really, really something special and then going into the final and like it's i think it's it's great to speak to athletes so far after these events have happened because at the time it must have been really tough to to come away with the fifth place but now that you can look back on it and you've had you know you've had your incredible experiences of going through to rio and absolutely demolishing the field day winning the gold medal like what was what's your insight into that final race and where do you think you guys could have been better? And maybe like chat to us a bit about the race itself. Like it, it wasn't obviously Lawrence and I have watched that race plenty of times for obvious reasons. It was an amazing race to watch. And from your point of view, as a person involved in the race, like what was it like to, to be part of that, that a final? Yeah, I, I do not like to watch it that, that often <laughs> because for, for us, it was not a, not a good race. And it's still uh, disappointing, but not because of the result. It's disappointing because it's it was not the best race of the regatta. So mm. I think that's the the main point. And with a bit of of distance, uh, uh, when we now look back, I think you you need to be quite honest. And we we were not winning medals. We had maybe one one medal at the Europeans, a third place, but. We did not medal in the World Cups. We did not medal at Worlds. So it was maybe where, more or less where we yeah, should expect to end. It was fourth, fifth, some, somewhere there. But it was really disappointing not, not getting closer to the top three. And, that, uh, and the reason was we were not having our best race. We had a good first thousand but not a brilliant one because I think in the heats and the semis we were always leading in the first 500 and we could not manage to, to lead the A final. And from already that point on, our race got worse and conditions were tricky. <laughs> the conditions were, were very, very tricky there. But the, so do you make a, a point there about like the, the finals, not your best race. And I find if I look back at like my rowing career, it's, it was such a turning point for me when, you know, in the beginning you 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 going out as you as you said earlier, like you're going out to match people's speed through through the heats, through the the semis, and your your whole goal is making the A final. So your semi becomes more and more important, and and often you're putting your best race out on the semi. And only later in my in my rowing when I started getting those those better performances, and when you can actually start to have your best race in the final is when you like kind of tap into to a whole nother level of of racing you know when you're racing that semi-final and you're just holding back that that tiny little bit because you know that you don't need to sprint uh, flat out to to make the a final and then then that allows you to step up so much more in the a final um with the the kind of with the the, the top athletes around you um so that was such an interesting uh, point that you had made there um i really agree with that that you and you need a lot of time to to get it right too, and you need a lot of boat speed to be able to have your best race in the final. 
Yeah, sure. Especially if we if we look at the semi-final, I think it was was a really really good race, and we were close to the British. But then, as you as you mentioned, I'm pretty sure the British had another gear for the A final, and we could not not uh, keep up. So then, um, obviously, we we touched on like the South Africans having the probably the best race of our country's rowing history ever. So. What is it like racing against the South Africans? You know, you didn't race them a, a huge amount, you know, every every now and then and, and a lot of tight races with them. Um, but what is it like racing them? And then also, were there any funny stories you have or, you know, did you guys have any funny nicknames or, or moments <laughs> for, for the South Africans, yeah. you know, that you, you'd raced uh, over, over the years? Uh, no, I'm sorry, no funny nicknames, but oh, uh, no. it was always always uh, tough racing against uh, South Africans. And I can remember the, the heat where we were like really happy beating them. And then I have to be honest, we were really surprised that they did, did manage to win because we all were, were talking about the British and maybe the Danish and yeah, maybe the Australians as world champions, but... Yeah, to be honest, uh, on our list for top three, the the South Africans were not were not on top three, so we were quite surprised. But if you look back and if you look at their race they had in in Lucerne and then how they they stepped up from race to race at the Olympics, I think it was it was quite. Um, um, sorry, I'm I'm losing the uh, I'm missing the word. It was. Uh, yeah, for for me personally, it was was really really good to see, and it was was like a like quite special to see where they were coming from. So we we talked about the the B final the year before, yeah. and then on yeah. top, twenty twelve. That was really, yeah, really great to see. For us, so okay, so then going back, you now you finished that fifth place, and obviously not super happy with it. You you know, there's a little bit more. Uh, what did that post Olympic uh, season or you know next few months look like and how did your 2013 come around when like how did you shift from okay cool we, we're going to commit to to another olympic cycle was it a discussion with the the team because obviously the full crew stayed on for for another olympic cycle and yeah what is the what is the mindset of you and the and your crewmates going through after the the london games and looking at another four years of of rowing I think straight after London, we had the time off and I think everyone got back to university in different cities. So we were spread apart Switzerland and uh, we did not uh, train at the National Training Center um, until Christmas. So everyone was on his own and we had a, a training program, but there was not like a, a, a hurry to come back to the to the national center and i think it was around or a bit before christmas when our coach did ask okay are you ready for for going for another olympic cycle and i think everyone did decide um on his own and then i think we started with a cross-country skiing camp in january and we were only two of us and then the others joined in in february and then step by step we we, we got together and then our coach decided or proposed that we should split up to get better, to get faster. Or he told it or told us he wants us to get more um, like, um, 
yeah, in a way, in in the four, you always can hide a bit. So if if it's not going good for you, or if you're not feeling good, then you can can hide a bit because the four still is is going mm. going yeah, good. And in a pair or or a double, you're you're exposed. You can't you can't have a bad day without the the speed is showing it. So I think that was the main reason he wanted us to get better, and he put Lucas and me in the pair because we did a lot of of pairs training and racing in Switzerland and we were the weakest pair out of out out of us four and he set the goal that we should become world champions and we were just laughing in January and February we were like are you kidding become world champions we did never win a medal at that point and then our coach came okay now you need to win this that was a bit strange at the beginning of of the season I mean, your your next cycle, Simon, was absolutely incredible. I mean, let's just for the audience out there, I just want to read out some of these results. So from 2013, 2016, you were four times European champion, twice in the light, light pen, twice in the lightweight four. And in those four years also, you were world champion three times and ended with Olympic champion. So it was that four years must have been absolutely insane. And maybe something I want to touch on is that you know, at some point, you guys started working with Ian, uh, Ian Wright, and maybe you can give us a little bit about, to chat to us a bit about like the impact that he had on the, on the system, because obviously, in the rowing world, there's so many great coaches out there, and and one of the, the biggest coaches is is Ian Wright. So, chat to us about like the impact that he had, and maybe, you know, from your point of view, what are the kind of things that he brought to the, the table? What are the things that he brought to the coaching? that you found the most, you know, rewarding and the most insightful? Yeah, I think the, the whole journey from 2013 to 2016 was really important because we started uh, to win races. And as we found out, in a way, you need to learn to win because if you win once, then you want to win again. And that makes you go even better in finals. So we really made that step that the semi-final was just a race to do, to get through to the A-final, and then the major race started. And I think that was the, the biggest progress we, we made in the, in the double and in the pair. And I think that that helped a lot um, for us to see, okay, now we, we did that step and we are able to progress. We're still able to progress. And we had... Uh, big goals and the original plan was that we come back into the four for 2014 but then the the guys from the double decided mm, they don't want to to go back in the four because they they were silver medalists at the worlds and they said now we want to have another go because they they thought they can they can win it the next year and so we we spend another year in pairs and and doubles and then um yeah, it got a bit tricky, I think, because um, yeah, the the double was not going super fast anymore, and we were still going good in the pair. And our coach wanted us to to come together in a four, and there was a bit of discussions going on. And then suddenly the 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 coach changed. So Ian Wright came. I think it was in October 2014. And that had a, a huge impact because he, he told us maybe first meeting we had, he told us, okay, guys, I know every result you had so far. 
but you know what? I don't care. So he told us he wants to see from now on every day how good we are. So every training counts. And he told us every training is competition. You need to show every day what you are able um, to produce. And we started in singles. We had every training in singles. And he really yeah, pushed us like up and down, up and down. And wanted, wanted to have a, a ranking more or less every session. Okay, so uh, so okay, so Ian came in at the end of of 2014, and so I mean, obviously, you've already now had a, a good start to the the cycle. You've already, as you said, that um, you know, learning how to win. I think is it's kind of similar to what you're saying about having your best race in the final. Is that you got to understand you 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 have to learn as a athlete that like how to to perform and how to get those medals at the end of the day. It's it's an it's its own art. Uh, it's not only about the training and, and then you become, then you can start to like trust the training. So then with Ian back and you're rowing in the singles and you said that this was quite a complex, it was quite a difficult decision to kind of, or conversation to have to go back into the four. But then when you got into the four, so 2015 for those, you know, the first, uh, the first few times in the four, did it feel different to to the other years that you rode the four? Did it feel different, a lot different to to how you guys were in in London? Uh, yes, it felt different because we were were apart for quite a long time, and we had like a, a build up. I, I mentioned that we started in singles, and then we did a racing um, before Christmas. So we did race in singles, then we did race in doubles against each other, and then we had a, a finish race in the quad. And then we started, I think it was in, in January 2015, back sweep rowing in pairs. And then we had the same again. So we raced each other in pairs. Then we came together in a four. And it felt good from the first moment on. So we had a really good training camp in Portugal in 2015, where we could produce really good, solid base speed at rate 20. So that was really good. And then we we came up to to trials and um, we had to to race pairs and and fours and I think already before um, Ian had uh, to talk to us individually so everyone had had a had a, a meeting with Ian and he asked uh, us or I can only tell you what he asked me but I, I guess he did ask <laughs> the other guys the same <laughs> question so what are your your goals. And I told him I want to be in the fastest uh, lightweight boat. And then he said, okay, yes. And then he asked me, yeah, and if it's a double, and, and I told him, yeah, then I want to be in a double. And then he told me, yeah, but you're not in the double. You're not strong enough. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> what are we up then? And yeah, it was a bit, bit disappointing, but as well, same amount motivating because he was yeah really open and he told, told told me that he thinks it would be a pity not doing a four because we have four guys going really fast and it would be a pity only sending a double to the olympics so we need to try to to get the four together and then he had uh, obviously uh, a chat with all the others and i'm pretty sure not everyone was really happy or 100 percent committed to the four but then we had trials, the four was going well. And then we went to Piediluco. And that was a bit uh, strange because Mario was injured. So we had a, a spare, a different spare this time in the boat. We had uh, 
different seating order and it was not going good. So we had a quite a, um, a difficult start back in the four. And then I think for the first World Cup, Mario came back. But um, we had a different seating order and we were not sure if it's, if it's the fastest seating order. We were not, not really, yeah, really happy with, with uh, how the four was going. And then we raised the first race and it was uh, in Bled, like an, I think on Friday, it was like an international regatta. And then on Saturday, the World Cup started. And then we won the international regatta and we were like, oh, that's not, not bad. But yeah, it was only China and Chile and it was not like, like many other countries racing. And then the World Cup came and then we won the World Cup. And then we were like, okay, maybe the four is an option. So that was, that was quite, quite funny how it, how it changed. So the mindset changed. At the beginning, everyone was like, ah, I'm not sure if it's, if it's the four again. And then suddenly we we won a race in the four, and we were like, okay, I th uh, we think we should should go for it. The 2015 season must have been amazing because the last time you guys were in the four, it was very different. And then you spent some time apart, had the new coach, got into the boat in 2015, and then from then on out, you guys got pretty comfortable standing on the podium. I'm pretty sure with the the golds and the silvers that that came along. And then, yeah, chat to us like. At the end of 2015, it must have been like a eureka moment, winning the becoming world champion in life at four. And the feeling of like contrasting the feeling after finishing the 2011 uh, race to, you know, finishing 2015 as a world champion, both years, a year before the Olympics, but the perspective has changed very differently. And almost the pressure must have been quite different because like you said earlier the expectations change how did the expectation now that you were world champion in your minds you guys must have thought to yourselves well we have a fantastic chance of being olympic champion how did that expectation expectation change how you went about things and did the pressure did you feel that pressure come in when you guys finished uh, that world ch became world champion 2015 going into 2016 did you feel that pressure come into the training uh, yes of course yeah because um, I think in the 2015 season, we were aiming for qualifying the, f the four again. And we all had in our minds, we, this time we want to, to win a medal at the World Championships, but we also want to win a medal at the Olympics. That's, that's why we did, didn't make the, the hard work for. And yes, of course, if you, if you go to the Olympics and you had uh, a good World Cup campaign, then the, the world championships were really good. I would say it was maybe the, the best racing we've ever done. And especially the semi-final because there was no pressure. And it's quite, yeah, it's not, not often the case that you, you are able to rate without pressure because we were quite confident that we will make the A final. So we tried to go as quick as possible, but still managed to, to stay really loose. And then the the four was going poh, really, really good. And then we had the final and then already the, the pressure came up because we did know now we have to win after after this season and the, the this semi-final in Ekbelet, we, we need to win this race. Otherwise, we are not, not happy. And then the, the pressure already started. But yeah, the final was, was really good at the World Championships. And we could take it for, for the training, for the training through the winter. But to be honest, yes, the, 
the pressure did, did step up quite quite a lot because from that moment on we won the, the world championships we we were sure we want to win the olympic gold medal not just a medal it, it had to be the the gold medal and that yeah that was a big big pressure we we set for ourselves in the the 2012 olympic cycle it was you know really tight you were you were in the pack and you were you were boxing with you know 10 different other crews on on any given day and then in the in the 2016 cycle you guys kind of set yourselves apart from from the other crews and the only other crews that really could come in and and race against you was the the new zealanders what what was it like having such a you know kind of almost intimate competition and and rivalry between one crew now where you know when when you knew when you when you got on the water against them that was the the, the main crew that you you were kind of focused on yeah, it was funny because our coach uh, is from New Zealand or was from New Zealand. So there was always a, a bit uh, funny situation. Um, yeah, but it was, it was, I think for us, it was really good that they did beat us at the World Cups because we were not sure heading towards the World Championships if we can, can make it on top. Yes. So we, we were always challenged by them and they, at some point, they were, they were, yeah quite quite a bit faster than we were and or they they could could really step up uh, for the se second thousand and we we couldn't we couldn't um stay with them and that um was a motivation boost especially for the training period be between lucerne world cup and world championships and i think that yeah. uh, was uh, as a coming second in lucerne was was the reason why we we changed um everything so we we did take uh, a whole day with a biomechanic to really check which is the, the fastest seeding order. And yeah, I think we did uh, 72 kilometers and, and checked everything um, just to find out which is the seeding order going, going the best. And so what did yeah, you, we, what did you do there in that? How did, what, what did that entail working out what, which seating order was the best? Uh, so we went on the Rotse and I'm not sure if we tried four or six, different i'm not sure what how many many seating orders we tried we definitely did try the old one we had in london then we tried the one we raced in 2015 for the for the beginning of the season and then definitely the one uh, we raced in ecbelet and a few different ones as well and there were i think three seating orders going really good so the one in london we had in london and then the one we raced in 2015 for the world cups and then there was the we call it the magic combination, the one we, we raced uh, at the World Championships in Ecbelet, where we found out that we can go same speed um, as the other combinations, but with, with uh, producing less power. So we, we had to produce less power to go same speed, so it was much more efficient than the other combinations. And what we did, um, I think we did on, already, uh, always three loops on the Rotse, so we had a like a... Uh, stroke rate 20 2k and then we had a a 2k where we did split in i think we did 20 strokes every 500 i think on race rate and then we we did a, a third lap where we did a, a start piece uh, a pace piece and a sprint piece and then we came back and then we changed everything and did it again changed did again changed and then um Without seeing the results, um, we were asked, uh, how did it feel? And it was really funny that at the end, 
we had the, the right feeling. So in the boat, the, the best or the fastest combination did feel the best. And then um, Ian Wright told us what he is thinking without looking at the data. And he had the same impression. And then the data came and we checked everything and the biomechanics said, okay, we have a one combination, which is really going good, better than, than all the others. But it's a, a bit of a uncertainty to change um, a few weeks before the, the World Championships if we want to take that risk. And then we discussed and then we said, yes, we, we want to take the risk changing everything, but with the perspective to go even better than before. Just that's fascinating. You know, we, we've chatted to a, a lot of athletes and a, and a lot of people that have rode, you know, big combinations, fours and, and things. And, and most crews, you know, they there's subtle changes. You know, you can switch one or two people around in the boat and, you know, the seating order often is dictated by each athlete's kind of rowing style. Like they just suited to a certain position much better than the, than the rest. So we haven't really had a conversation where, a crew has had that many options and that many, you know, different uh, abilities with, within the crew to to sit in that many different combinations. So, yeah, I find that really, really incredible to to listen to. How, how did you find you spent a bit of time in the 2015 racing in the stroke seats? How was that? How did you find that compared to um, the, the the usual three seat that you, you were probably at your best at? How did it feel changing to the stroke seat? Uh, to be honest, I always... Uh, did hate to sit in the stroke seat so i was really not happy when when ian told me i have to 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 sit in stroke uh, but then um, doing the racing yeah i was not really happy because i could not really judge if it was good or not good it felt just hard it felt way harder than than in three seat or two seat or, or in bow seat it was for me it was more like uh, pushing through a barrier because if you're in stroke, you have to go for it. You need to be a bit more crazy than, than the others behind you. And for me, it was, was really, really tough. And I found, yeah, it was, I, I did not like it. But if I um, look at the racing, I have to say maybe it was the time where I personally did row the best in stroke seat. So that was, that is, for me, it's quite funny because the feeling, is different. I feel much more confident or comfortable in three seat or two seat or somewhere, yeah, in in the bows. But uh, at that time uh, in stroke seat, I would say technically I did did row the best, yeah. And then, you know, talking about uh, the technique is for me your those years, twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, yeah. uh, what your crew was dishing up in at, at race pace is probably some of the best rowing that anyone can can go out and and watch and look at you know technically it's it just really it's so smooth so long so together as a, as a combination of a of a crew um it and it's very different to the the way you were rowing in uh in 2012 how did you guys get there and, and what did, what was the main things that Ian had focused on to to push you guys and to to get you to start rowing um, that kind of easy, easy, perfect rhythm that you that you kind of had in in 2015 and 16? Yeah, I think it was all about structure, really structuring the, the stroke properly. So we spent hours and hours turning early, square early, and sit stable in the finish, 
and then be patient with the release and everything. So I, I can remember one training session we did, uh, I think, 6 or 7K in two hours because we spent so much time squaring early, doing roll-ups, just really focusing on the structure that everything was in time. So that was a really intense time. But looking back, it was it was really important. It was important that we had these kind of training sessions where Ian was really picky. So we did not stop until it was was good. And I think that helped a lot to to get into the 2015 season with a, the same idea how to move the boat. Maybe we had the, the same idea how to move the boat before, but then the structure was different and it was more more dynamic there was there was definitely a, a difference do you think that athletes or or training programs are like almost too focused then on on power and that's all about okay row harder row quicker you know like kind of jam in as much as you can and not taking that step back to you know spend two hours uh working on a on a simple movement in the boat and and not worrying about how fast is the boat going at this point and how fast how many kilometers have we done uh, today as a, as a, as a training session. Yeah, I think, I think you need to find the balance in a way, but I, I personally think it's worth uh, spending time to really work on the technique. Otherwise you, you just, uh, move water and not the boat and uh, that's not helping at all. So what we found out, um, with working, uh, with the biomechanic is that, uh, our strength was to support, uh, support the boat run during the recovery. And that's something we really um, had a big benefit on, on supporting the boat speed on the recovery. So, so we managed to, to, yeah, to, to go fast and support the boat speed, not only by working hard, but also supporting the boat run in between the strokes. And I think it's, it's worth focusing on the, on the technique because on the, on the power side, we were, I think we were all right, but I'm not 100% sure if we were the, the strongest four, but uh, we definitely were really efficient. It's really funny. Sorry, Jake. No, uh, it's really funny on the, talking about that recovery because it was something that our lightweights also focused hugely on, especially 2012 season was was massive on, you know, a rowing boat in, you know, has this huge change between its peak speed and its slow speed. And you can make it go fast by increasing the peak, but you can go make it go a lot faster if you lift up the the slow part of the the stroke and and nurture the boat speed through the the the, the recovery and not let it drop too much on on speed. And I think that's something that you guys did phenomenally mm. well. Um, in that, uh, I mean, for me, Rio to go back and and watch a, a rowing race is is incredible to to watch how that boat just runs on. Uh, stroke after stroke and it's you know how much speed it almost looks like it gains speed on the on the recovery yeah that was definitely really uh, a good experience to make and and in the boat it felt really good and that's um why we yeah it was maybe the first time we we did jump in 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 the four and this combination it, it was already quite good and then yeah we we spent lots of time many kilometers and it got better and better and better and even now, when we now jump back into the fort, we are all unfit, but the boat is still running. So that that's quite funny. So so the combination is still working without having the power because we definitely lost the power in the past few years. Yeah, <laughs> I actually I'm love I'm loving having this conversation because last year 
we we raced the Ford World Champs, and actually one of the obviously we we talk a lot about technique and we do a lot of video analysis. And one of the fours we did video analysis on, and probably the one where we were like, okay, this is this is really good rowing. This is what we kind of want to do. Was your guys for that was racing, you know, in those in those final seasons? So it's actually really cool to have a chance to chat to you because, again, it's like technique. I always find, and I think one of the reasons why rowing is such an addictive sport when you get stuck into it is because it's like it's a never-ending pursuit of finding a perfect technique that ultimately you're never going to get it perfect. But it's a balance. It's always a balance between keeping it really technical. But then you have the rhythm, you have the abstract part of the rowing, which you cannot put into wo- words. It's about the feeling. It's about you know letting the boat run underneath you. You can't necessarily put a put it into words and say, okay, you need to do this A, B, C, and D, and it's got to feel good. It's about feeling. It's about letting it happen. And then there's the other side about like you what you were talking about the structure, making sure the boat's stable off the finish, making sure you're hitting the checkpoints to to not lose that much speed on the recovery. So yeah, I mean it's a it's an amazing discussion about like how many different ways the boat can go fast and yeah, I mean the the, the your guys four, especially going twenty sixteen, it must have been an incredible feeling. And that season, building into the Olympics, racing at those World Cups, how did you guys feel once you obviously New Zealand was a massive factor, but the confidence getting to Rio, you guys must have been on another level getting to Rio and you must have been really confident in your abilities and the Rio games was again it's a completely different experience it must have been very different from London so chat to us about like how was the boat feeling when you got to Rio yeah it was completely different to to the campaign towards London yeah because we we had a good preparation um, the last few weeks before the the Rio games but we struggled with injuries so we did not do all the World Cups. So I think the, we did the second World Cup in Lucerne and then we did not go to Poznan. And for that reason, the, the break in between was, was quite, quite big. So we had uh, the race in Lucerne and then training, training, training until the Olympics. And we, of course, we had, we had good training, but in a way we were missing like uh, the racing. So we had no, no idea or not a, not a clear idea how to race because it was so such a long time. And I think that was the reason why our heat in, in Rio was not, not good because we felt maybe too comfortable and too confident. And then suddenly other boats were, were in front of us. And then, yeah, then there's nerves, nerves and anxiety. You, yeah, it's not, not great to, <laughs> to, to try to catch up. I think that was yeah maybe too much confidence going into into the heat at the Olympics and yeah I think we got the result we we deserved with uh, coming third. And then you guys got to the semi final. Third was not didn't go straight forward. You guys won the semi final, and then going to that final race again, it's a, it was an amazing performance to watch, and getting through that race, and your second K. You, we've spoken about like how much the second K over the course of your career, how important that second K was, and that you felt that in in London and in other situations, you guys just didn't have that second K. But gets to Rio, your second K was just better. It was just better than everyone else's, and it separated you from the rest of the field that got you that gold medal. So it must have been a beautiful feeling finishing off your your rowing career, and as you've just 
it's the one thing that you've chased for so long. You finally got it, and the race you did it in was almost a constant hunt of this great performance, being strong in the second K, and you got it. And that gold medal must have felt amazing for you to to cross the line in in first place. And what an incredible what an incredible feeling! Yes, of course, yes. Um, yeah, the semi-final was, was uh, I think, the key race of the Olympics for us because we had a not, not a good experience in the heat and we were not happy how we, we did row technically. We were not happy how it felt physically because we had the impression we were not uh, on the edge in the heat but still not winning. And yeah, we had lots of, of discussions. And then I think in the semi-final already it was a, was a headwind and then we decided just to go as hard as we can and try to stay in front of the Danish at the 500 meter mark. And I think that was the, the key point to really go out hard and same speed as the Danish and then maintain it to the thousand. And then I think from that point on, we realized, okay, that was maybe just hard work until thousand. But we did know, okay, from 1,000 to the finish line, that's, that's the part of the race where we're really good at. And then we tried to, to step up and we could step away from the Danish and that, that helped us to, to loose, loosen up a bit. And I think we started to row a bit better. It was not just power, power, power. So we started to, to think technically as well. And... Yeah, we managed to 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 win the the semi final, and I think that was the the turning point and key point of the of the regatta for us. Sure, and then your final, obviously against the the Danes again, uh, a, a really big big race from you guys. And you know what are, what was it like, especially towards the end of that race? You know when you when you're starting to sink in that oh my word, you you're going to cross the finish line, uh, it's going to be a, a gold medal, and you know you've rode. Uh, over 12 years internationally and you 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 struggled through the under 23 years into that four you know with the just making it scraping those a finals and then to come back into this cycle give it everything start to to win the races start to stand on the podium and then to to get to the Rio games and and stand on the on the biggest podium of them all it must have just been the the most incredible experience and I, I don't can you even like now when you think back to it is it easy to to put into words or or is it still something that just feels a bit unreal yeah at some point it still feels unreal but it feels really good so if you if you look back then you have a like a, a warm feeling in your body where you feel like oh that's that's really good so we were quite lucky to 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 achieve um to achieve this and it was really a special feeling a special memory i will never never forget but the, the, the first moments after crossing the finish line, it was really unreal. So, yeah, we had huge pressure coming into the, into the race because uh, I think the, the other semifinal was, was quicker than, than we were. And we were always like, okay, the Danish are maybe the fastest crew out there. So if we manage to beat them, we're in a good position. And then suddenly the Italians uh, are going really, really good. So we were not sure going into the final that that uh, a good performance will be enough to win so we went at the start line with the intention to have our best and hardest race we've ever done and we ended up having the hardest race we've ever had 
and not the best maybe. So technically it was not the best, but it, for me personally, it was definitely the hardest. So I was already done 1500, but yeah, we managed, we managed somehow to, to, to hold the speed. And we were always, always until the last stroke expecting the Danes doing something crazy. So for yeah. me, it was exactly when I, or when we crossed the finish line, I could see, okay, the Danes are a bit behind us then I was sure, but until then I was not sure that that not suddenly they will will do something crazy <laughs> and and will will pass us. And that's uh, lightweight rowing for you. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. And you know we've been speaking about lightweight rowing, and I when I was just doing my research and watching some racing, it it struck me that out of all the the lightweight events and, and watching lightweight racing. I must say, it seems like the lightweight fall is probably the closest to the heavyweight fall. If I look across all the events, especially like, I obviously the I think the top performers in the heavyweight fall are ridiculous, but the rest of the the field, like if I take the A finals, to from watching racing from all these world champs and world cups from heavyweight fall and lightweight fall, I must say it seems like the gap between those two classes are very very close, and like that's something that I guess. I had a good appreciation for on early in my career was I joined the squad. When I joined the South African squad, it was just after London. And I I just learned from racing against these top lightweights. So from your point of view, like what do you think, what what difference do you think, you know, why is it so close? And like, what are your thoughts around that oh, that whole idea? Because, you know, it is, I, I do believe the, the gap between the lightweight and the heavyweight is a lot closer than I think most people would imagine. Yeah, I think the the four is a, a more technical boat than than most of the the people are are expecting. So I think if you have a really good combination, uh, heavyweight or lightweight, the boat is going really good. But it does not need a lot, and then suddenly the boat is not going good anymore. And I think if you if you manage to go good and you you have a, the physical capabilities as a lightweight, I think you can come close to the heavyweights in good conditions that means uh, flat water or even tailwind then i think you can you can challenge the heavyweights but but otherwise uh yeah you you will not have a have a chance as a lightweight but i think that the technical aspect in in the four is maybe the reason why it's a bit closer than 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 in a double where really the the power is is really yeah i i would say more important than in the four yeah, I really agree 100%. I think that you you hit the, the nail on yeah, the you've, head. There. You've lost a lot of lightweights over your career, hey? hey I've lost this guy has lost plenty of times the lightweights, yeah. I can tell you that much. I, <laughs> I feel sorry for you. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I beat the, the at our, our big South African race, I won against the, the Light T4 in 2012. So I'm okay. Yeah. I feel okay about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And my brother, because obviously my brother's in the Light T4, so a lot of competition uh, between us all. But I want to just get on to, we want to touch on on what you're doing now because I find it uh, really interesting. But first, we've just got a, a set of questions that we ask every guest on the show and just kind of uh, quick fire questions that you can answer any way you, you feel fit. So the first question is, if you if you were going back to the the Olympic Games and you could choose any boat class to to row in and uh, and test out, what boat class would you would you choose? Um, I would stay with uh, what I'm used to. I would go back in the lightweight four if possible. 
Oh no, Simon, you can't you can't go back to the same event. Surely the the the, the eight. Let's say what or if, the lighty double. Or I the lighty double. The lighty double. Or in in this scenario, you can choose any event. It doesn't. It's not restricted by your weight, and you would be able to perform just as well as you do the lightweight. <laughs> okay, then, so then FC, I I might choose the pair. I'm sure. I'm sure the pair because that those years rowing in the pair must have been very special with Lucas in uh, 2013 and 2014. It's almost like the. The, the the foundation of the of the success of 2015 and 2016 must have been laid down in what you guys did in that pair. Yes, and uh, I I was always used to to sweep rowing and did not scull a lot. So for me, yeah, I I really like sweep rowing, and for me that that's that's uh, that's obvious that I have to choose a, a sweep boat and the pair. Yeah. I think you have a, a big big influence so every individual has a, a big influence you can feel from one stroke to the other and i think that's that's really yeah. really a cool feeling mm. so the the next question is um if you could choose any three people from anywhere and any time to row in a four in who would your three people be and why i would choose uh matteo castaldo from italy in stroke seat good choice yeah uh, yeah, I, it would be great just to follow his dynamic. I think that would, that would be a big challenge, but but great and he's, to experience. He's also he's a former lightweight as well, so it's 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 incredible because of his success from being a lightweight and then becoming you know one of the you know one of the the, the better last sweep rowers in the in the in the four in the heavyweight yeah. four. Yeah, yeah. I think we we raced each other in two thousand and four or something in the lightweight four and under 23 level yeah and second i would choose uh, james slash from new zealand also lightweight yeah i think he's a, a a great boat mover and he has experience with hamish bond in the pair and I think they were they were going really really quick when they had their national championship. So it would be great yeah. to have him on board. And then your last spot, you have one more spot there in your four. Um, I would go for James Thompson because um, rumors yes. say he's maybe the 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 one the best boat mover that arguably the best boat mover. That's what I heard. So I would uh, would love to have him in the four and then check how it goes. Yeah. And James also is like I would say is two the two things he's like really really good at is just feeling the the rhythm of the boat and like backing up from being in the bow seat just kind of laying down and and supporting the the, the athletes in front, and then he's also like he's quite a good like leader for a crew. Yeah. So yeah, he also good. brings out uh, a lot of you know in training and and stuff. He understands the dynamic that a crew needs to what they need to do to to perform. He's a big listener of the show, so he's going to be super. He's going to be super happy. Super that happy. <laughs> yeah, I think no, that's very cool. Would be actually, really good. yeah, yeah. I actually, I didn't really get. I didn't get a chance to. I don't think I didn't row much with James, but I, I thankfully got a chance to row quite a lot with John. And yo, those all those guys are absolute legends. Really, really good at obviously making a boat go extremely quickly. So in. In like 2009, 2010, I was like one of the only um, heavyweight under 23s. So there wasn't like that many people to row with. So the coach would just like, I was basically like the spare for 
the whole team, the lightweights, whoever. <laughs> so every every especially on some of the rowing camps we went to, like early on in the season, and they would just put me in and I would row. So I think that season I rowed with like nearly every single person in the team. And it was uh, for me it was such a good like learning curve to like row with so many different athletes learning like how each athlete is a little different and how you have to behave to to make a, a crew fast so yeah but i really like your your four i think it's a it's a really brilliant uh option a brilliant crew then the the next question is what is your favorite rowing race of all time that you you watch or you find yourself watching uh, you know if you think back to to if you had to go search on youtube now to to watch a rowing race what rowing race are you searching um, I love to watch the 2004 um, men's four race at the Olympics in Athens with uh, mm, Barney Williams job. against Matthew Pinsent. Yeah, that's a good one. And actually, that's a, we get that race quite, quite often, hey, Lawrence? It is a big a one, choice. but we haven't had it for a while. We haven't actually. had it for a while. A lot of people have chosen it, but we haven't had it for a while. But that is a race of titans. It's a ridiculously cool race to watch. I think it's probably the best rowing race, like... <laughs> If you showed someone that wasn't rowing and you said, "Come watch this. This is the race you need to watch," I yeah, think that is that is really good. So the the next one here, Simon, is if you were in charge at world rowing, what would you change and why? Um, I would try to bring back the lightweight for the Olympic program. That's an easy one. Yeah, I mean, I, I just speaking about it, like it is. It is such a shame that the the direction that um, they've seemed to have taken is to sort of phase out the lightweight rowing. Like it's, it's a real pity that there's so much pressure from the, the political side of things and the Olympic games that you have to start cutting away yeah. the, you know, the, the events, which is, is a real shame. Cause I mean, the lightweight form, we've had such good discussions about it. And I'm, I honestly believe that the best racing that you get is from lightweight racing, just because of the fact that you have the, the limit on the, the weight so that will naturally condense the physical capabilities of all the athletes. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't like throwing too much shade on the, on the row show, but I think it's, I think the best addition to rowing was having the women's four, but I think they could definitely cut the quads out and the lighty, the lighty fours back in. Um, I'm sure I, because I, 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 I mean, if you couldn't, if you had to remove a crew, like, I just think that you need the lighty four. It, it should be mandatory for, for our sport to have yeah. the lightweight men's four. Yeah, and I like, agree. You know, actually, just lightweight fours in general, I think, would be yeah. so good to watch. Yeah, I agree. You need to sure. need to keep the, the women's four, definitely. So that's a really, yeah. really great boat class to watch. And yeah, for me, it's just uh, sad that like average people, average guys like, like, like I was have no no real chance to, to race at the Olympics anymore. So I think, yeah, the double is, is, is nice that, that they still get the chance uh, in Paris, but then, yeah, the, all the lightweights will be out. So it's, it's only, only a sport for, for tall, strong uh, women and men. And that's, in my eyes, it's a bit a sad story, but yeah, we will see. Maybe, maybe we will find a, or we will see a few lightweights racing heavyweight like Matteo Castaldo sure. did or, or, or yeah. is doing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The, so our next question is obviously the one, all the, the young rows want to know, they want to know the, your best uh, 2K on the ERG. And usually it's quite a good discussion because we have a lot of 
all the guests on our show, we we have a ladder and a roster of of how fast they've been and and where they all line up. But we haven't had too many uh, lightweights, so it's going to be interesting to see where you where you fit in. Definitely not on top. <laughs> uh, I did uh, the best I did was a six fifteen. Oh, oh you do <laughs> that's you, fantastic that's, you, that is amazing you're you. one second faster than james thompson yeah oh that's good to hear <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. so yeah that puts you that puts you there top of the the light rates you've had on the show and uh and one second ahead of of james so yeah i'm sure he's going to be delighted when he hears <laughs> that might just message him right now um Awesome. And then the, the last one is if you were to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, uh, what sport did you choose? Uh, I might go for mountain biking. I it's think a it's classic a classic lightweight uh, choice, I think. Yes, and it's, a, it's a, a, a cool, cool sport where you have a, a physical and a technical aspect as well. And, and you're outside, you can go for training rides. Not, not as we, we are used to in rowing where you have always the same same lake all the time so you can go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah that would be really good. Actually, now that, we, now that we are on the subject, I, I've watched a bit of, of mountain biking. Isn't one of like the best mountain bikers of all time, Swiss? Yeah. What's his name again? Um, Nino Schurter. Uh, Nino Schurter, yeah. That's it, Nino Schurter. So yeah. the, um, that's, such a good, that's such a good choice. I think uh, I would love to, to be... Um, yeah, I would love that to be a sport for me, but obviously I'm a little a little chunky yeah, to little to chunky. race the, the, <laughs> the mountain bike. But you're right though, and Switzerland has some incredible mountain biking, and as you say, some incredible mountain biking like pedigree, uh, and a lot. But a lot of rowers though, like so. I think I mean we do a lot of mountain biking as like cross training over all our years. We, we preferred that over the the road riding because it's uh, not particularly safe in South Africa to easily get out and cycle on the road um but yeah i think and, and our light rates were all particularly good at um at cycling especially matt and uh, and james, james did a lot of a lot of cycling and lawrence uh, and love as well is really really good on the bike so i think it's kind of built into to rowers and especially lightweight rowers to be fast on the bicycle yeah of course but we won't have a chance at the olympics <laughs> on the bike but but for, for fun, and if it would be possible, I think it would be a great experience. Well, actually, Matt and James finished, um, I think, top 20 on South Africa's Epic. Yeah, the Cape so Epic. Cape Epic is a pretty big mountain bike. It's the multi-stage race. Yeah. And they did it in uh, 2013, I think. Yeah, I think. Oh, it was a pretty good, pretty good result there. But yes, they're not winning against. Uh, they're not going to the Olympics. I think it's. I think it, there's not many athletes that can switch a boat class, uh, switch a sport category, and and then perform and, and to, to, especially to win. I don't think it happens very often. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Simon, we did have a cool chat. Like it, it does bring us to the end of the interview, but like Lawrence alluded to, we had a bit of a chat before we started the interview, but just for the listeners out there, like, could you just chat to us a little bit about like what you're doing now and maybe in, in context, you can chat about a little bit about how, how was it to retire and, what were the difficulties you faced? And yeah, it's it was really interesting the discussion we had before. And I think the listeners out there would have would love to to hear what you're up to at the moment and your your thoughts on the matter. Yeah, it was definitely difficult after so many years in the sport of rowing to to stop. And so I yeah tried to to stay involved in in the sport of rowing, 
So I asked that uh, the Rowing Federation, um, our youth coach, if uh, it's possible to to support a bit and and uh, yeah to to uh, yeah spread of a bit the experiences I made, and I was really lucky that I got the opportunity to to work as a as a coach uh, on on the nineteen level. And that was really helping me to stay involved and make the step from professional rowing into into working, but still staying really close to the sport. And I think that was that was a key chance for me. And now I, I stepped on um, a bit. I'm, I'm now working for for Swiss Olympic, and I'm doing dual career counseling. So um, yeah, our goal is really to support. Um, all athletes in from different sports to combine combine their education with with their sport and i think that's key um i think in every country but but especially in, in switzerland that you get the chance to do your sport on on highest level but still get the chance to to take the the education with you and then um get the chance to have different options when at at some point the sport comes to an end so you still have a something to go for maybe it's not not only at the end of the career maybe some some time in between when when you have an injury or or something it helps a lot if you have uh, something else in in your life which is not only sport and the, so like in your experience what is what is something what is something that most athletes struggle with in your in that um, topic like between balancing uh, work and 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 studies and training and then retiring what is what is something that comes up a lot from your that you see now yeah i think the the main challenge is to 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 manage the the overall um intensity so you need to be able to perform in sport but you still need to have some energy left to study or to work and there has to be no negative influence from one side to the other and i think that's the main challenge but um as as i discovered many many athletes are quite happy to have like this this mental change so they they think sport every day they do training every day and then for them it's quite helpful to to get a few hours per day where they really have to focus on different things and talk to different people and I think that that could be or can be a benefit, but it definitely is a big, big challenge. Wow, that's awesome. And definitely something that I, I think every country struggles with and, and needs to deal with in, a, in their own way. Obviously, every, every country has different, different challenges, but I think that that's a, it's a big one. And it allows athletes, I think, if you deal with it in, a, in the right way, allows athletes to, to compete and train for longer. It extends their career. Mm. actually if they have confidence that they can that they can row or do any sport and and not have to worry about what comes afterwards yeah no 100 percent. but yeah simon i think uh that brings us to the end of the conversation from our side a huge thank you it's been fantastic chatting to you and yeah i think uh, this is definitely going to be one of my favorite episodes because we've chatted a lot about the lightweight fall and all of us are huge fans of the events, especially you, I'm sure. And yeah, I mean, it's been great to have you on. And yeah, a huge, a huge pleasure to have take a bit of your time of the day. 
and chat to you about your amazing career and that uh, incredible result at the Olympic Games and your other racing. Thank you guys for having me. It was a pleasure. Cool. So that is a wrap of our Simon Niepman episode and what an absolute banger. Um, as we said in the start, Jake, getting lightweights on the show is always interesting, always bringing that new dynamic uh, to our conversation. And I thought Simon really delivered and, you know, I thought took us a bit of time to get going. And then once we started getting into the the details, I thought what an epic conversation and what an epic journey he's had. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I uh, We mentioned a bit of it in the context. I think his journey was like really cool to see because it was just a steady progression all the way to end with that gold medal. And to all the lightweight rowers out there, I hope you appreciate your friendly neighborhood heavyweights uh, chatting about the the, tech, the technique, the nutrition, the, the ins and outs uh, on, the, on the lightweight side because I know – that stuff is golden. It's really hard as a lightweight road to get those things right. And from someone with experience as Simon, um, I actually enjoy chatting about chatting about that. And I think uh, our lightweight roads will will agree with that. Um, or I suppose any sort of athlete looking to, if they're in, involved in, a, in, in, in any capacity to manage their weight, I think they'll appreciate that a lot. I think you, you bang on there. And then, you know, as they were a crew that I've watched and, and learned from a lot, I felt like I was fanboying out a little bit too much in the middle of the episode. But then at least he started fanboying out on uh, on James a little bit. So I think we, we even Stevens uh, after the chat. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so for sure. And it was actually really cool because naturally we've got uh, a lot of common with being massive fans of the of the Lightweight 4 and... I think you could tell that it lent itself towards the chat and just chatting about the racing in London as always is so much fun, especially, you know, for Lawrence and I, even though Simon came fifth there, but obviously we end the chat well with him racing to that gold medal and really Lawrence coming with uh, the the impact of Ian Wright, that four in those last couple of years. I just, I, I love chatting about that, that last cycle. Really, you get the sense that someone that's put in some, so much work was like, approaching their apex mountain and finally becoming a master of their craft and, and ending off the only way um, to do it. And that's with the gold medal at, uh, at the Rio Games. No, it was absolutely awesome. And then just a reminder um, about World Masters. If you have any questions, any queries, just send us a message. Uh, get, in, get in touch with us and, and we'll start to, to look for answers for you. Uh, you can email us, you can WhatsApp us. And actually, with regards to the show in general, if you guys have any questions, you have any suggestions, head over, send me a WhatsApp, send us an email, or you can join us on our Patreon where we have the most incredible WhatsApp chat group where we have all these absolute rowing uh, aficionados and uh, we have the most incredible uh, conversations on this uh, on our platform, just discussing rowing, discussing new news, or elements of the rowing stroke that uh, kind of come up, uh, you know, just kind of in general conversation with us. So it's it's quite an incredible place. So yeah, if you really if you want that little bit extra rowing content, definitely hit us up on our Patreon, and we will bring you in. Jake, anything else? I think it sounds good. I just think an extra extra uh, punt there for wall rowing masters, guys. If you're interested, don't miss it out first time. Africa and the first time we at in South Africa to be holding the the World Masters Regatta. So 
really excited and uh, we're going to be around the regatta the whole weekend um just uh you know putting up a little bit of a stand there getting a bit of leg work in on the regatta getting our faces out there so it's going to be a really cool weekend but besides that guys have a lovely week uh weekend day night wherever you are it's been fantastic cool guys so that's a wrap and uh listen for us next time <laughs> cheers cheers <laughs>